Hello and welcome to the program. This is another Diplomat podcast and with me is Arte Hoekstra. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Arte is a, uh, a Dutch journalist, a freelancer. He's also just been re-elected as president of the Overseas Press Club of Cambodia for a second term. And uh, welcome to the program, Art. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, now, congratulations on uh, being re-elected. Uh, what type of year was 2020? It's notorious for everybody else. I don't, think I, I don't think I know anyone who had a good year. It was a very strange year for all of us. I mean, for me personally, when it comes to work, it very much impacted uh, my traveling. Because mm-hmm. normally I'm also doing a lot of work outside Cambodia, and that was basically impossible this year. Um, and everything is about COVID. Right, and then uh, the... Uh publications haven't been incredibly generous this year at all. Everyone's looking at cutbacks and trying to find ways of uh, paying you less and extracting more. I presume you've had the similar deals? Um, me personally, not that much. Um, mm-hmm. I did notice a bit a lot of other colleagues that there is, there is less money. Um, what I did notice is that because COVID is such a so it's a global thing. Um, you have to compete certainly with, with correspondents all over the world because we're all talking about we're all writing about COVID. Yes. So I'm writing about COVID. In so Korea. one story world at the moment. Yeah. So that makes it really diff- that can make it really difficult to compete. Right. And to get your story out. And primarily you write for uh, Dutch publications, so perhaps you're isolated a little bit more than others were, in that sense. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm I'm lucky with that, and I've been writing them mm-hmm. for a number of years, and that puts me in a in a better position than many others because I'm, I'm I'm like their guy here I'm their correspondent so there is still that 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 stability Bit of, loyalty goes a long way in this business when you can find it how has um, this all impacted on the press club on the OPCC uh, which is often a benchmark for how other press clubs and foreign correspondence clubs are feeling the pinch around the region there's just not the number of correspondents here as there once was uh, before the 2018 election was probably a couple of hundred now a pool of a couple of hundred foreign journalists now it's probably about 20 or 30 how how is the club coping with those sorts of numbers um yeah we have about i think around 30 members at the moment okay that's that's Um, actually sounds like it's a bit higher yeah i think than last year I think it has gotten a little better over the past couple of years. I think 2018, 2019 were really bad years. I think 2020, there has been a couple of new people have arrived this year and late 2019. But the number of foreign journalists is still uh, quite low here compared with how it was in the past. And what we are dealing with is we are just, we are trying to stay relevant. We are trying to to keep that function as, as, as a networking, mm-hmm. as, as a meeting place for journalists and uh, also to share information and to share experience. How, how you, you, you cover the region, but uh, in particular Indo, Indochina, and we've had COVID and there've been all sorts of issues like in Cambodia, uh, there was a crackdown uh, before the 2018 election, newspapers closed, became business friendly, but Laos has gone very quiet of late. A, a communist state, so, uh, Vietnam is having issues as well. The uh, Reporters Sans Frontier report recently came out. Uh, 50 journalists died around the world you know, this year, or 2020, and of them, two thirds died in what's regarded as peaceful countries. How, how do you find journalism and the media industry in Indochina at uh, the end of? Uh, a, a very interesting, tricky, difficult year. Um, it's tough. 
if I think it's tough for, for, for many of us, um, for, for many coll colleagues around mm -hmm. the region, um, including in Cambodia. But um, I also see that people are still moving on. People right. are still pushing on. There's still, uh, there's still a lot of good journalists out there. But, but it is tough. And there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of push against independent media. We see that all around the region where publications are under threat and where mm -hmm. journalists are intimidated. Um, and I think what is also part of why that is happening is probably because the rest of the world is so busy with its own problems. And then right. mainly, mainly and that goes back to COVID, no one's COVID and economic yeah. crisis and all yep. that. that is, this is happening um, outside of that view. Yes. And I think that is a, that is, that is a very dangerous thing um, because it means that it's, it doesn't get seen that well as mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is that is that is it is on the threat. In Cambodia, how do you find the relationship between the uh, between the government and journalists? My personal experience is that it's never been as harsh as some people make it, uh, but at the same time, it is extremely it can be extremely trying, uh, very difficult to get information, uh, confirmation, uh, get. You know, you can put a request in for an interview and it gets passed on, passed on, passed on until the use-by date of the story is long gone. How are you, uh, how, how's the press club finding that and how how do you see the state of the Cambodian press corps at the moment, particularly among the local publications, say? Yeah, it is it is difficult, but I think it has been difficult for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. I think I think the relationship between the government and the media could, could be better. Um, however, is it... It's not always that bad as, as, as outsiders like to believe. I mean, it is still pretty easy, for example, to get a press card. Mm -hmm. if you, if you are, even if you are a freelancer in Cambodia, it is still pretty easy to have a right. of information and to have your press card. Um, and there is also ministries that are available for comment. Sure. So yeah. there is, on the other hand, what I, what I personally find difficult sometimes is, is the lack of public information. Right. Like the lack of data, the lack, lack of statistics. Yes, I think that is really important for journalists, and that can be quite difficult to get it from the government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was at the uh, courts uh, yesterday, the other uh, earlier this week, and um, as you know, there's uh, 200 dissidents, opposition supporters, all lined up before the courts. I went out there, uh, and uh, it was quite amusing, actually. Uh, the secure, the heavily um, security guard looked at me twice, three times. I showed him a press card. He was scratching his head and he said, okay, come in. And I went in and I saw the, uh, the uh, court officials in the admin office. I told them who I was and I wanted this. And they looked at me and said, oh, this court case is political. I'm like, well, yes, I guess so. And they said, okay. And they took me upstairs. They pulled out the charge sheets. They couldn't have been more helpful. They gave me everything I needed where I kind of assumed uh, that might have been difficult, but often when you ask, you do get here. Yeah, yeah, not always. I mean, there's also been cases where it's not possible and where you right. just have to wait outside until somebody comes outside and maybe tells you something. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe what is missing sometimes is just is, is one straight line. Mm -hmm. it, there's not one straight line straight line that we can follow. It's it's not um, how to say it. It, it, it differs per case. Every case right. can be different. Right. Like your example, that's a good example of how it should be. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not how it always goes. Mind you, I had similar experiences dealing with uh, Western 
uh, Western embassies here where stories which were considered absolutely not controversial a few years ago now now get referred back to, say, with the Australian embassy, they get referred back to Canberra. Canberra can be just as difficult when it comes to getting information out of as Phnom Penh. And uh, we were seeing this right around the region, little alone try and get make contact with uh, Cambodia, Laos or Bangkok or Indonesia. And we have to deal from afar because of COVID again. So if we're writing about countries outside Cambodia, which a lot of us do, uh, getting access to people, access to information, it's almost impossible. You have to rely on what LinkedIn and Facebook, eh, which is kind of, it's all a bit turgid. Yeah, and, and that's... that's um... That is that is that is often the case, and and very often you also see you have to rely on what what lawyer is it if for mm. example there's a case at the court, mm -hmm. then you often have to rely on like the lawyers right. of the of the of the accused, yep, um, giving you the information and not so much from from the court. Right, and then you can be accused of uh, running something that's loaded in the favour of the accused, exactly. and it's like well you're not talking to us. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, that is that is that challenge. On, on the other hand. Um, I do believe, and especially, and I think there's a difference between foreign journalists and Cambodian journalists. Sure. We as foreign journalists, we still, we still have, uh, we still have enough freedom, I think, to report and yep. to do our work. I know it's a little more difficult for Cambodian journalists who are. They do uh, get pressured by the they, government. They, they get, get phone calls in the middle of the night. Yeah. They uh, have editors jumping on them. Stories get changed without their knowledge. Also, there's all sorts of gremlins in the system. Yeah, that happens, and and I think for us as foreign journalists, and, and most times we can we have uh, the freedom that we need to mm -hmm. to do our stories, to do our work, um, and I think I think that is still good, and that's still um, something that we should keep as well. Mm -hmm. Try to keep at least. Oh, this brings us around too, uh, as we touched on briefly before, is the online media. Um, which uh, deserves enormous amounts of criticism, uh, which I think we're all okay with. But if it wasn't for the online media and where it is now, I mean, access to information is greater than ever it was before. Uh, online publications are, seem to be stepping up to the plate and filling the void that was left uh, a couple of years ago when, say, in Cambodia, where the Cambodia Daily was sold and, uh, sorry, uh, where the Cambodia Daily was closed and the Phnom Penh Post was sold off to uh, uh, friendly business interests. And that void, it's quite robust out there in many ways. A lot of the stories aren't necessarily well-researched, uh, particularly, uh, and when I say these online media outlets, I mean, there are, there are small news organisations being set up in provincial cities. Uh, and reporting in English, Cambodia News English is one, uh, and they, they, they seem to be doing a very good job, I think, in terms of uh, basic news stories, which might be more about cops and robbers, uh, but in an era of COVID and reporting little outbreaks or how things are happening in the provinces, I think they're doing a very good job. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think on, on a more national level, mm -hmm. for example, with, with VUD, mm -hmm. they, they really stepped uh, up. Voice of game. Democracy, yeah. Voice of Democracy, they really stepped up the game. But also Cambodia News, they, mm -hmm. they hired several reporters uh, over, the past, over the past year. Right. And they cover many different, many different issues. 
Um, I also think Tamai Tamai has has, has uh, improved their game. Um, and we see we've seen Southeast Asia Globe going from print to on, to only online. And it is doing a, a and, and yeah. They're, they're doing well. Yeah. They they're doing good story. They're doing really good work. Mm-hmm. And. I, f- I think that is that is a very good development, if, especially compared with how things were three years ago. Right. When we lost the daily. Yep. And then suddenly the post was taken over, and and many good journalists left the post. Right. Um. If you compare it with that time, two three years ago, it it's it's it has improved, and um. Maybe online is not online is never going to be exactly the same as print. It can't be. It can't be. It's, yeah. it's, it's impossible. And and for example, the Cambodian Daily, they always said it's this beautiful weekend magazine with mm-hmm. really big stories. Right. And you don't have that anymore. And that's 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 a loss. Mm-hmm. But I do think that online media, they do feel part of the void, a big part of the void. Because thanks to them, we still know what's going on, what's happening. It's, it's also uh, provided... Um, much-needed news outlets for countries like Vietnam, which uh, has not had a free press in the South since 1975 and the North since 1954, if it ever existed before then under the French. There's really nothing coming out of Laos, but there's a lot. there are a lot of uh, special interest uh, publications online which are writing about Laos. I mean, and by that I mean, like, say, the Mekong Digest. A lot of stories are being written about the Mekong, and even the Mekong River Commission has stepped up its game in terms of releasing information to the public, which is now coming out of Vientiane. Any improvements we talk about are kind of small steps, but you can see the dynamics of the industry changing. Yeah, definitely. It's it's changing, and um, you can see it in Thailand as well. In Thailand, mm-hmm. for a long time, Bangkok Post and The Nation, that were two, the two big newspapers. Right. At some point, The Nation uh, went completely online and it's, it's, it lost part of its relevance, I think. Indeed, I mean, The Nation, and The Nation was in trouble for a lot of years yeah. before that. It was, by, by the end, it was being run on the uh, smell of an oily rag, as we used to say. Yeah. You can see in Thailand as well, there, there have been some, some online publications mm-hmm. that uh, really stepped up their game. For example, Disrupt. Right. Um, I think it's it, it's it's a it's a pretty small publication, but they do really good stories. Right. They do very good opinion pieces. They do very critical news pieces, and they're also filling the void there, at least part of it. And if if you don't have these online publications and you and you and these print publications, mm-hmm. they they either shut down or they um, or they have to shrink in size mm-hmm. and. That doesn't get filled up by online. What do we still have? Right, and uh, in the age of COVID, I mean, I think people sometimes I think people should be thanking their lucky stars because, okay, people are, uh, are doing it hard, they're doing it tough, and many are in isolation and living in fear of catching the dreaded disease. But they have comms. You can communicate quickly, easily, cheaply anywhere on the planet, and you've got access to stories and you know what's going on, which is the prime job of a journalist is to inform the public so it knows how to behave, what to do. And in the COVID crisis, that's really been borne out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course, it is difficult reporting during COVID crisis because we are all facing, not just facing the, the threat of the disease, but mm-hmm. also um, facing the consequences for 
for example, when it comes to meeting people, right. it's a lot more difficult now to do uh, to do interviews, to do a face-to-face interview. People say like, well, yes, you can interview me, but can you please do it over the phone or over Zoom? So basically, everything's just stopped. Yeah, and of course, it's great that, that we have the technology to do it over Zoom or over Skype, mm-hmm. um, but it is not exactly the same as doing a face-to-face interview where you meet someone and you can see somebody's expression from 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 nearby and but on the other hand we do have this we, we do have this technology we have we have everybody now has a good internet connection yeah it we, works we can do so many things from isolation that's right including countries like cambodia yeah. although i think in vietnam and other places there are there's a big push down on that but access to vpns and uh uh, there are lots of ways around these things. Now, tell me, what what do you think are the big issues facing um, our marvelous region in twenty twenty one? The big issues, of course, COVID. I mean, right. the COVID outbreak that is still happening. You can see it in Thailand now, where there's a big outbreak. Um, and but then, apart from that, I think um, economy. Right. Um, with the exception of Vietnam, all countries in this region are doing quite bad and they're looking yep. at, a, at a very serious crisis. Thailand, Laos, uh, Myanmar, Cambodia, all of them are are facing very serious economic uh, challenges that they have to address. And that means there's going to be a lot of people falling back into poverty. Right. I think that's going to be a very big issue. And of course, then there's, a, there's always, that has been going on for a long time, there's the rise of China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, China's presence has been interesting this year because um, I think there was a pullback happening, starting to happen. We could see it 12 months ago in Cambodia. They banned online gambling and there are a lot of cowboys running around in the south of the country and they seemed to have, they were being pulled back and then uh, COVID broke out at the same time and that seems to put the clamps on uh, uh, kind of Chinese expansion, not so much in Vietnam, obviously, but certainly Cambodia, Laos, and I think we're sort of poised to see what will happen next. And we've got we've got untold rows of skyscrapers, uh, not just in Phnom Penh, in Sihanoukville, and they're starting to go up in Kampot, uh, these sorts of places, and they're all empty. And there's there's been a lot of talk about Chinese migration, uh, bringing people down to work here, bringing down retirees who want uh, warmer weather, access to cheaper health facilities, all those kinds of things which Cambodia is starting to get better at. Uh, but it's all on hold. And it's whether or not we see that going, I think 2021 will be an interesting year for um, what, what the plans are for a lot of these governments. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think China will still be here. Um, mm. China needs Southeast Asia. China, China wants to have a big footprint here. Yep. You can see it in Laos, for example, where the Lao government is in financial difficulties, and China is 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 helping them. Yeah, right. The death, the old old school debt trap now. I mean, yeah. It was a term we didn't have what three four years ago, and now it's just um, it's run riot around the around the around the world. Fiji, yeah. Africa, Sri Lanka, and it's, I think it's a term that that Beijing would uh, prefer us not to use. But um, oh well. Yeah, well, Be- Beijing will probably say well, we we are helping, and yeah. in a sense they are, but but what is what what does Beijing expect to get in return? Well, they got in Laos they got control of the uh, electricity grid, and the whole point of building hundreds of dams was to produce an electricity grid, 
and now they don't have it. So yeah, yeah. And and we have to see how how that's gonna go in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, are the Chinese gonna go into return in the same numbers as they were before the pandemic? Right. Um, or much more. Or much more. Or much less. Um, and what is all this? These all these Chinese investments, how how good or bad are they really? Mm -hmm. I guess I think some of them are good. I'm well, also sure that mm -hmm. some of them are less good. Right, and the problem there is that the contracts are always opaque, and uh, I've had uh, numerous diplomats simply say to me, "We don't know what's in these contracts," and that makes it. Uh, I mean, they're obviously talking from their own agenda as well. They have their own companies that want to bid for contracts, that kind of thing, but they don't know what's in them, where with other countries they do. And uh, that's another spanner in the works. Yeah, yeah. And I think we as journalists, we have to stay critical and we have to try to try to get the full story, which is really right. difficult, of course. Um, but we have to stay critical and we also have to see, okay, what, what are the consequences? What does this mean, for example, in Cambodia for, for the Cambodians, when you have all these investments coming in? What does it mm. mean for the local people who live there now? And of yes. course, right, and of course there are people here uh, closely aligned with the government who have amassed incredible fortunes worth billions and billions of dollars over the last 10, 20 years. And a lot of Cambodians uh, who are struggling in the villages or working in a garment factory for $200 a month would be quite you know, six days a week, twelve hours a day. Would be quite justified in asking um, what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in inequality is, is is a big issue as well, and that's mm. that's maybe that's gonna be one of the major issues in 2021 because it's inequality that is going to probably going to increase. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to lose jobs. People are already losing jobs because of this crisis. People are losing part of their income. People are not just in Cambodia, but also in, in Myanmar and in Thailand and in Laos probably as well, are very much in depth. Right. While there is other people who have a lot of money and just make more and more and more. Right. Um, and how are you going to address that inequality? Right. I think that's, that's going to be a really big challenge for many countries around the region. How are you going to address that? Because what may happen if you don't address that on time? Yeah. I mean, Cambodia has seen lots of protests over the years. It's been very quiet in the last two years. Uh, and, and certainly the, in Thailand, the protests have re-erupted the pro-democracy movement. You have a government that is military controlled in the elections, which um, uh, the economists described as uh, ineptly rigged, which I thought was a lovely term. I think the other big change for the region uh, is uh, the election of um, Joe Biden as president of the United States. Donald Trump hardly covered himself in glory in Southeast Asia. And uh, I must add that Barack Obama didn't do that much until his uh, pivot towards Asia and the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which Trump pulled the US out of. Uh, certainly that, that arrived a little bit too late but uh, how important do you think the Biden administration and what do they need to do to kind of perhaps reassert themselves uh, or get America's interests out there and back into Southeast Asia? That's a good question. Um, I, think, I think Biden, I'm expecting Biden to do better than, than Trump. I expect them to have a better 
foreign foreign policy for Asia, um, also with the eye on, on the rise of China. And if you look, Trump didn't do that much and didn't basically he more ignored or less it. ignored yes. Southeast Asia, maybe mm-hmm. with the exception of Vietnam a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think before that, Obama also he did a little bit more. For example, with Myanmar, helping Myanmar. Right. He and Hillary Clinton did a lot to help Myanmar on in, in their transition, uh, which later on then... Backfired with Aung San Suu Kyi and the genocide and, of the Rohingyas. Entirely. Um, right. But maybe Trump should have done something there to keep that keep that relation. But I think, I'm, I'm hoping that Biden will go back to where Obama was, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a little bit more. Also to have a better balance in the region between China and the US. Yeah, they're forcing people to choose or forcing cu- countries to decide. Uh, the, a, a lot of uh, bureaucrats, governments, politicians are complaining privately. They don't say, like, saying it too loud that, you know, the Americans are putting pressure on us to choose between Washington or Beijing. And they don't want to make a choice. They want to deal with both. Uh, having said that, Beijing hasn't exactly made it easy either. And uh, th- this could be a, how this issue gets handled over the coming years. It could be a, could be quite interesting, particularly with the South China Sea, the dispute there. And also uh, other analysts are pointing out that uh, the Mekong River dams were, were in a two-year drought water levels are at record lows, fish catches are at record lows, and that the Mekong River is set to become the big regional um, issue uh, on the international agenda after the South China Sea. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what, what the US should do, what Biden should do, is first of all improve relationships here again, mm-hmm. be on the ground and show them that you are, that you are serious in, in, in rebuilding trust and rebuilding these relationships and and I think from the from from the perspective of of Southeast Asian countries, it makes sense to to want to have both. You want right. to have a good relationship with China, but also with the U.S. Mm-hmm. They, I understand that they don't want to choose because um, they are small. If they choose, then then if they choose one as their friend, then does that mean the other one is the enemy? Right. It could mean that. I mean, it could be seen as that. Sure. And that's not what you want. You don't want to be in a position like that. I think. Some countries have been in a position in the past and it did not go well. No, indeed. And this country had a long 30 year civil war thrown um, with a genocide. Yeah. Uh, bloody horrible, really. Yeah. Uh, Vietnam was the same. Laos was the same. Uh, yeah. In fact, right across the region, Indonesia, Malaysia, they've all, Myanmar, they've all, had their, they've all had long periods of civil war or conflict with ethnic groups. Yeah. So you, you want to have a good balance. And, and, and I think that is that is best for all, especially for the countries around here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some very serious issues that they need to address, like like the Mekong River, because that, that is a big problem. I mean, so many people depend on that river. Right. You're talking about just millions, tens of millions of people. Uh, 70 million in the lower Mekong Basin alone. So you have to do something there. and. and that's where very much you need to have a very strong um, voice against China there, I think, because China is, if, if China wants it his way, um, mm. then there will be more dams that will yeah, have control the, over the river. The Stinson Center in the United States is uh, saying that 
they're planting more than 400 dams as opposed to I think the number we had previously was 140 yeah and uh, uh, for what purpose no one can seems to be able to say except that there's a lot of businessmen who are making a lot of money on building these things yeah yeah so I think we could, we could really use the help from 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 the United States but also perhaps from from the European Union to okay mm-hmm. to do something against that to to offer an, an alternative right um, and so people here have more choice and, and the region has a better balance and I think a better balance also means more stability right and I think that is that will be very good for for everyone indeed and on that note uh, what sort of fortunes is are you hoping for in 2021 uh, you've recently had a child you're married to the country your wife is Khmer and she works with you yes what are you what are you hoping for what am I hoping for? Um, first of all, I'm really looking forward to be able to travel outside Cambodia again. Right. Um, I, I mean, this year, for example, I, 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 in the beginning of this year, I was hoping to go to Myanmar for the elections. Mm-hmm. And then the big protest happened in Thailand. And normally, yeah, we I, would, would be I, going. I would go there. That's right, yeah. You yeah. would go there. Yes, as well. absolutely. And <laughs> the, the elections in Myanmar, it was a very important election, but none of us were there. And there was no coverage of it. Well, there was coverage. There was coverage of it, but it was extremely limited. It was very limited. So what I'm really hoping for, at least to have opened these borders again, so that people like us, we can we can cross the borders again, and we can go to these countries, and we can report from, from the ground, like we have always done. Um, and on a personal note, I also hope, really hope that I can travel to Europe again. And see go my, home for a while. Go home for a while, see my family, and because yeah. that's also really difficult right now. Indeed it is. And on that note, uh, Arte Hulstra, thanks very much. Thank you, Luke.